Welcome, everyone. You are listening to the LifePoint Christian Church Podcast. Let's get started. Good morning, everyone. Welcome. So thrilled to have you. If you're joining us online, we're glad to have you as well today. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever just wished or hoped that God would step into your life in such a way that just one time that God would do something so amazing, so spectacular, like you would know without a doubt, man, this is God. And if you could just see him do something like that, then man, you know, my faith would grow. I'd have a greater faith. I'd have a stronger faith. Have you ever just, God, can you do this? Can you answer this? A lot of times we want God to do the spectacular. And I think sometimes God wonders, uh, like what? Like, do you want me to take this big, giant, large rock and create it in such a way that, that you could live on it, and I'll create it in such a way that, that it will sustain life, and it will stand in stark contrast to the, all the other rocks I created? Oh, wait a second. Oh, I did do that. And we're like, no, 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 no. Like something really spectacular. And God says, oh, how about this one? How about I give you uh, a 576 megapixel camera, I'll give you two of them, I'll put them on the front of your head, and I'll give you a 3,000 gigahertz computer that is so smart and so intelligent, you will be able to pass information along from generation to generation to generation. And we're like, uh, no, something even more spectacular. And God's like, oh, okay, how about this? Like, did you know that while you're going to listen to this message, your body is going to shed about 40,000 skin cells? Think about that thought. I don't know where they're going. You're going to shed 40,000 skin cells during this time, and that will then, new ones will form and create, and that's all going to happen without you thinking about it. That it just happens. You're like, no, 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 God, I want something really spectacular. Man, we oftentimes miss what's right in front of us. We oftentimes miss what God is doing right now. We're oftentimes miss like literally the miraculous that God's doing in our life, in our midst on a constant basis. And so I'm asking you the question today, what do you see? What do you see? What is it that you see? That's what we want to talk about today. A man named John said, hey, I saw someone right in front of me. I saw with my own two 576 megapixel cameras, I saw them, I heard him, and I was so convinced by what I saw and what I heard that, that I believed that he was indeed somebody, that he was the Son of God, and I chose to put my faith and my trust in him once I discovered that. And I want to write to all of you, and I want to tell you about it. And I'm hoping that when I write it, that you will see and you will hear in such a way that you too will be convinced that this person is somebody, that they are in fact the Son of God, and that you would believe and that you too would have life. John says, that's my hope for you. That's why I've written this thing that we call, this book, this letter that we call the Gospel of John. Now today we come to the fifth sign. And Jesus is going to be back in Jerusalem, and he's going to be stirring things up again. We're going to be in John chapter 9. 
And for those of you who uh, use the YouVersion Bible app, uh, some of you made us aware, and thank you for it, that it, like, it's been jumbling everything up lately. We reached out to YouVersion, and they know about it. It's on their end, and they're trying to work on it and fix, on it, fix it. We tried to just maybe give you a screenshot for this week. Or you can go to the app and, or, on your, or on your physical Bible. You can go on the app and just follow along. We're going to be in John chapter 9. John chapter 9. It says this. As he, Jesus, went along, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples, John being one of those followers, asked him, Rabbi. And I'm sure they whispered to him, Rabbi, see that gentleman right over there? That one, he's there all the time. He's been there for years and years, and he's blind, and he's constantly begging for money. We're curious, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Because their assumption in the first century was this, was that there was a cause and effect relationship between suffering and sin. That if you were suffering, it was because you sinned. And so they had all this presuppositions and they had all this superstition wrapped around suffering and sin. Now you and I know there are times when we will suffer because of our sin. And we also know at times we will suffer because of the sins of others. And when that's the case, it's usually quite obvious. But when it's not as obvious as Jesus is about to point out, there's no connection between the two. And so what Jesus is going to do next is he's going to shift their paradigm. The answer to your question, is it he who sinned or his parents who sinned that he was born blind? Jesus says, John chapter 9, verse 3, neither this man nor his parents sinned. In other words, guys, you've been thinking about this all wrong. And then Jesus is going to say something. And it's going to mess with our brain a little bit. And he says this, verse 3, but this happened, meaning this man being born blind, But this happened so that. Now, Jesus is going to share something here that he also teaches in other places, that pain can have a purpose. That There are times when pain and suffering can actually have a divine purpose. And I have to wonder, does all pain and suffering have a purpose? I know that Jesus' pain and suffering had a purpose. This man's pain and suffering had a purpose, and perhaps... Maybe for you and me, that our pain has a purpose. And I know that's tough to hear, but sometimes God will do something amazing in our pain and suffering. Notice what it it says here, this, but this happened. In other words, this man is not being punished. His parents aren't being punished. This particular pain and suffering happened, verse 3, so that the works of God might be displayed in him. In other words, sometimes God chooses to display his power on the stage or the platform of our suffering. And I, again, I know that's hard to hear, but sometimes God will choose to display and show and demonstrate his power on the stage of the suffering that we are going through. In fact, I'll bet some of you have seen it before, or maybe you've been through it yourself. But you've seen somebody and and their response to their pain and their suffering, it was so incredible to you that that it inspired you, it encouraged you to even greater faith. You see, the most impressive people aren't those whose lives are just simple and easy. Those who live pain-free, who lived in 99 and then they die in their sleep. And praise God if if someone has that. But man, you know what's moving? 
you know what's inspiring? You know what grabs a person? It's when a man or a woman or a child or a family goes through something that is so awful and the pain is so great and the suffering is so great and yet their faith is and stays rock solid. And you see that and you witness that and you're like, man, that grabs me. And when you see that and someone live that way, that becomes a testimony to the power of God as he displays his power in the midst of their pain and suffering. And I got to tell you, over these last 19 years, I have seen some of you go through incredible, extraordinary pain and suffering. And your faith has been rock solid and strong. And I want to tell you, I honor you. And you inspire me. And you encourage me to proceed in my faith and to stay strong in my faith and to stand in my faith. And your faith inspires others as well. So Jesus turns to his audience. And in verse 4, he says this. He says, as long as it is today, we must do the works of him who sent me. Because night is coming when no one can work. And the disciples are thinking, there you go again, Rabbi. We've been talking about this blind guy, and now all of a sudden you're switching topics on us. Why do you always do this? But Jesus goes on, he says, here's why this is so important, verse 5. While I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. Here's his point, and it's incredibly powerful, and it's the reason John wrote his gospel. Jesus is saying, look, while I am in the world, my identity, who I truly am, it'll never be more apparent than it is right now. Me, Jesus says, the light of the world, it'll never be brighter, the light of me, than while I'm here on earth, because a time is coming when I go, and it's going to be dark. And when that happens, uh, the darkness will be great. He says, I'm God in the flesh, so watch me, learn from me, believe in me. And by the way, Matthew, you and John, take super good notes because you're going to want to tell about it later. The disciples are thinking as Jesus is talking, all right, Jesus, we got it, we got it, we got it. Can you go back to the blind guy? (laughs) And in verse 6, after saying this, Jesus does the strangest thing. He spit on the ground, made some mud with saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Now, I don't know about you, but I read this story right here, and I'm like, I got so many questions. I mean, there's so much I want to know and understand about what's transpiring in this moment. But then Jesus says something to the blind guy that we've heard him say to other people that he says even to us. He said, go. Go, leave my presence. Walk away from me and wash in the pool of Siloam. This is a foreshadowing by John. This is John's whole point and why he chose to tell us about this particular sign. Remember, John could talk about a lot of things Jesus did, but he's like, okay, this is going to show us something. And it's a foreshadowing here, and he says, okay, the blind man in this story has a choice to make. Will he move? Will he get up from his place? Will he go? Will he walk by faith and not by what? By sight. He had a choice to make. To do what our Heavenly Father has really called all of us to do. To trust somebody, namely Jesus, whom he hasn't seen, and to trust him based on the testimonies of others in what they have seen. Verse 7. So the man went. He'd heard the stories about Jesus. 
He went to the pool of Siloam, and what did he do? Notice what it says. He washed his eyes, and now all of a sudden, he can see. And so what do you do next when when you've been blind your whole life, and all of a sudden you can see? Notice what the Scripture says, that he went home now seeing. He said, i gotta, I got to go show my family and my friends, and they're never going to believe this. This is going to take them by surprise beyond what they could imagine. Verse 8. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg in the same place day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year? Verse 9, some claimed that he was. Others said, no, 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 it can't be him. He only looks like him. But he himself insisted, yes, listen, guys, I'm the guy. I'm that guy who's been begging there, sitting there begging for years and years and years. Yeah, I know I look a little different. I'm walking a little different. You know, I don't have my stick with me anymore. But notice what he says, I am the man. So, of course, they asked the question that anybody would ask. Verse 10, how then were your eyes opened? Verse 11, he he replied, here's what happened. The man they called Jesus, he made some mud, and then he put it in my, on my eyes. Not sure how he made the mud. I know I heard a bunch of sounds, and it was kind of weird and awkward. He made some mud, he put it on my eyes, and he told me to go to the pool of Siloam and to wash. And I did what he asked me to do. It didn't make sense to me. I didn't know what was going on, but I went ahead and did it. Notice what he says. So I went and I washed. And there it is again. It's the message that God has for all of us. Will we do what Jesus asked us to do? You see, that's always the question. Will you do what God has invited you to do? Will you take a step? As we say a lot out here often, are you willing to say, yes, Lord, yes? Yes, Lord. Yes, I will do what you've asked me to do. I will go where you've asked me to go. He said, I washed, and then I can see. And of course, they're curious. So verse 12, they say, well, then where is this man, they ask him. And he said, I don't know. How do I know? Beats me. When I, when I was with him, I was blind. How would I know where he is? And so now the story is going to get more fascinating. Now the drama is going to begin to unfold. And remember, for John, this story, this event, it's a sign. Verse 13, so they brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now, this isn't unusual. Um, it would be relatively normal for somebody to be brought to religious leaders who were, who, were, who was about to engage in society in maybe a different way than they had been engaging in society in the past. Verse 14, now the day on which Jesus made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Wednesday. The day it happened was on a what? On a? On a Sabbath. Poor Jesus. He just never learns, does he? It seems like, Jesus, if you will just do things like on a Wednesday, you're not going to have issues with the religious leaders. You're always doing things on a Sabbath. Come on, Jesus. It's almost like you're doing this on purpose. If you were with us with the previous week, uh, we talked about this idea that, that, that the religious leaders, they had what was called the oral Torah or the tradition of the elders. And what that was, was around the Ten Commandments, around the laws of God, they created these additional laws and and, and commandments so that you would be careful that you wouldn't break the laws of God. And so they had 39 categories, and they had dozens and dozens of laws under each category about what you could and could not do on the Sabbath, because they wanted to make sure you never broke or violated 
the fourth commandment, which said, you know, honor God on the Sabbath, don't work, make sure you rest. And so they created all these laws. And one of the laws they created was that you could not mix. You could not need, like K-N-E-A-D. Uh, and that was a violation. That was considered work. Okay, so that's why you couldn't make bread on the Sabbath. And so here we have Jesus who has broke their little law because he's mixing, you know, mud. He's mixing and making, you know, mud and slime and all this kind of whatever else Jesus did. And so Jesus is actually in trouble with them because he violated that little law they had, but he's also in trouble with them because he violated another one of their laws, which said you cannot, you know, practice medicine or, or bring about healing for somebody on the Sabbath unless it was to save their life. And in this case, he wasn't saving his life. So Jesus, he's violated two of their laws. Therefore, the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. And he said this, verse 15, well, he put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, Jesus. There's no way he's from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. Again, he wasn't keeping their laws. He wasn't violating God's written law. He just didn't go along with their laws. In other words, Jesus wasn't fitting into their little religious box. Jesus wasn't fitting into their, you know, God box, their interpretation of God. We all have a God box, every single one of us. And, and, and the danger is that we put God in that box and we put our understanding of God and our theology and how we see Scripture. We, all, we put God in that box, and that's our grid. That's our view by which we view God. And Jesus is operating outside the boundaries of their particular God box that they had created. And so they said, Jesus can't possibly be from God in our opinion. Verse 16, but others ask, and this is a very important question. They say, how can a sinner, because again, they say if he's not from God, that means he's like one of us, which means he's a sinner. How can a sinner perform such what? Perform such, such signs. This is remarkable. Remember, John is saying all of these signs are pointing to something, to someone, to an identity. And they're pointing to specifically the identity of Jesus. And now here's John. They're, it's even their own words. And John's trying to like use this to get you and I, because we're the readers, to get us to think, to get us to see. How can a sinner perform such signs? Verse 17, then they turned again to the blind man who's standing there, and then notice what they say. What have you to say about him? Is Jesus, is he a sinner or is he not a sinner? It was your eyes he opened, so why don't you tell us? And so the man replied. He's like, I don't know. I guess he's a prophet. Verse 18, now some of the Pharisees, notice what it says. They still did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight. They just think he's making the whole thing up until... They sent for the man's parents. So now the parents have to get involved, and they've brushed the parents out and say, all right, parents, verse 19, is this your son? Is this the one that you guys say was born blind? Because if it is, how is it that he can see? And they're like, listen, here's what we can tell you. Here's what we know, verse 20. We know that man right there, he is absolutely our son. And notice, what did they say? 
And we also know he's our son. He's been with us our whole lives. That's our son, and we know he was born blind. Verse 21, but how he can see now and who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. In other words, he's old enough. Notice what it says. He's of age. He can speak for himself. He can stand in a court of law. He can testify. Don't bother us. Talk to him. He can speak for himself. Now, why would the parents do that? Why would they be like, hey, why would they not come to his rescue or defend him or anything like that? Notice verse 22. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who had, and here's where some of us are, who had already decided, who had already made up their mind. You see, for these religious leaders, there is no room in their theology. There is no room in their understanding, their worldview, for what it is they're seeing in front of their very eyes, for what they're experiencing, for what's happening right now, right before their eyes. They couldn't see because of their God box that they had created. They had already decided. What did they decide? That anyone who acknowledged what? Again, John, this is brilliant. John's talking about the signs here. They, decide, they acknowledged that anyone that what? That, that said that Jesus was the Messiah, again, pointing to identity, anybody who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. They'd be ostracized. They'd be left out. And the parents didn't want that. The religious leaders. And they were like some of us. They were blind. They were blinded by their own presuppositions. They were blinded by their assumptions. This is what Francis Collins, who I mentioned a few weeks ago, calls willful blindness. It's when there's something to see, but man, we just won't look. When there's something to discover, and we won't take the time or energy to discover it. When our cognitive bias, when our confirmation bias only allows us to to take in information that's going to confirm and affirm what it is we already believe, the box we've already created. And so we refuse to acknowledge anything that, that might pull us out of our context. We refuse to believe anything that might cause us to have to think that God might be bigger than our understanding of him, that God might be greater than the box that we've put him in. Here's the problem. When you and I allow ourselves to be blinded by our presuppositions, man, we just miss out on what God's doing. We miss out on what God has for our lives. We miss out on what God wants us to see when we be like the religious leaders. So they're not done with this guy. And in John chapter 9, verse 24, a second time they summon the man who had been blind. And they're like, come back over here. Give glory to God by telling the truth, they said. In other words, the only version of truth is our version of truth. You need to believe us. You need to believe our version of truth. And that's this. We know that this man, Jesus, is a sinner. Okay, we get it. You're blind. We talked to your parents. We understand you're blind. We know something happened to you. But clearly this man, Jesus, that we're talking about, he didn't have anything to do with what happened to you because we know Jesus, he's a sinner. Sinners can't do the signs or signs that he just did. So, ex-blind man, give glory to God. Tell the truth. You know, this is like hand on the Bible, right? Make your vow. Tell the truth. Tell our truth. Verse 25, and he replied, 
Whether he, meaning Jesus, is a sinner or not, I don't know. In other words, he's saying, look, I don't understand everything, but here's what I know. I don't have to understand everything to believe in something. I don't have to be able to explain how everything worked and why it worked and how it came about to know that something has actually happened. I don't have to understand everything to believe something. And maybe this is where some of us have been hung up and where we get hung up. For some of us, we say, I need to understand, when it comes to faith, I need to understand everything before I fully dive in. Or I need to understand everything before I believe anything. Now, I understand if that's you or somebody you know, I get that. But here's what I want you to think about. You don't hold yourself to that standard in any other area of your life. Think about it. You don't understand everything in every other area of your life in which you put a little bit of your hope in, a little bit of your trust in, or your little bit of faith in. For example, do you believe in love? I think most of us do, right? Do you really understand it? You believe in electricity, gravity? You believe in information? You believe in consciousness? Can you really explain all those? Now, some of you might be able to, but for the most part, most of us, we can't fully understand all that, and yet we believe in it. Listen, you don't hold yourself to the standard of, I have to understand everything before I trust it or believe in it. You don't hold to that standard in any other area of your life. So our Heavenly Father, who is just way bigger than any of the boxes that we've put him in, God says to you and I, hey, come on, let's take a step. Let's take a step. Let's believe. And as you take that step, as you step into faith, you'll begin to understand more and more. The story continues. This ex-blind guy, he's getting more bold. He's like, look, I don't know whether Jesus is a sinner or not. I can't answer all the questions, but here's what I know. One of the more famous verses in all the Bible, been quoted uh, for thousands of years now. Verse 25, one thing I do know, I was blind, but what? I was blind, but now I see, right? How many times, how many times have you been in a situation where you were like, you know what? I don't care about all the issues. I don't care about all the religious jargon. I, I'm not concerned about that because that's what he's saying. I'm not concerned, religious leaders, with all these things that you think and all these things you believe. I don't know what your issue is with Jesus, but I'll tell you once again, here's what I know for certain. I have never seen in my entire life. I was completely blind, completely blind. But now I see. And this is many of your stories as well. You can't always describe the, the totality of your faith or your testimony. You can share it, but, but for some of you, all you know is that, hey, man, there was a season in my life I was lost. I was upside down. I was doing the wrong thing. I was messed up. My life was a wreck. I had a lot of issues. And I found myself reaching out and, and, and you know, reaching out to the big guy upstairs. I found myself sitting there and, and, and saying, man, if there's a God, God. And finally got to the point where I cried out and I said, God, if you're there. And you say, I don't understand it. But somehow, way, God stepped into that moment. He stepped into the darkness of my life. And in that moment, he changed me. And in that moment, my life 
was transformed, and all of a sudden I could see. I don't fully get it. I don't fully understand it, but I know I was lost, and now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. Jesus saved me. These religious leaders, though, they don't like his answer. So they go at him again, verse 26. What did he do to you? In other words, what was his trick? What was his parlor trick? What was the game he's playing? How do you open your eyes? It's like they're just looking for more and more reasons not to believe. And, and this guy's not, this guy, though, this blind guy, he's done now. He's had enough. Notice what he says, verse 27. He answered, I've told you already. Man, you guys didn't listen. What, why do you want to hear it again? And now he gets feisty. He's like, oh, 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 I get it. Now I understand why you keep asking me about it, because you want to be his disciple too. That's cool. I got it. That's awesome. It wasn't a good choice of words. Because in verse 28, they hurled insults at him and said, you're his disciple. We're disciples of Moses. We know for certain that God spoke to Moses, but this guy, we don't even know where he comes from. Again, everything in this story for John, there's a bigger message here. This is a sign, and it's pointing to something. And John is actually hoping, you and I, because we're the readers of the story, he's hoping we'll see what's happening here. He's hoping we'll see ourselves in the story and in our faith journey. And, and, and whether you don't know Christ yet and, and you're stepping into the journey or whether you're a Christian and you're putting God in a certain type of box, and he's hoping that we will see. And so my question for you is, what do you see? What do you see? So now you have this ex-blind guy. He's all up in their face. Verse 30, the man answered. He says, now this is truly remarkable. I mean, I've been healed. Look at me. I can see you fools. And it's miraculous. But what's even more miraculous is you religious leaders, you don't even know where he comes from, and yet he's the one who opened my eyes. In other words, how could you religious people, how could you be so blind that you can't see Isn't it obvious where Jesus came from? How much more evidence do you need to know that he came from God? Verse 33, if this man were not from God, he couldn't do nothing. He could do nothing. (laughs) You have the unschooled schooling the schooled. That's what's happening right now. But it doesn't sit well with them. And so with nothing left for them but their willful ignorance... Rather than listen to reason, they do what anyone does who can't discuss facts, who can't have a rational discussion. When someone can't discuss facts, have a rational discussion, what is their modus operandi in that moment? What do they do? They get emotional. They start making stuff up, and they try to end the conversation. They say, all right, we're going to cancel this guy. We're going to remove his account. So they replied, you are steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? You know, making stuff up here. And they threw them out, canceled them. How many times have you tried to have a rational, logical, fact-filled, fact-based conversation with someone who just won't look at the facts? How many times have you had those kind of conversation and, and you try to have that conversation with them, but you just find all they're doing is getting all wrapped up in the emotion of their false presuppositions? Anybody here ever been in that kind of conversation? Willful blindness, refusing to look at the facts, refusing to believe what can be seen, refusing to discover what can be discovered, being too afraid to look beyond whatever it is they hold so tightly and at least be willing to consider 
perhaps there's something here. Perhaps I've missed something. Perhaps there's more to God than I realize. Perhaps God's bigger than I thought. Perhaps there's more that I haven't learned about God yet. What do you see? What do you see? Because hopefully, you will all agree that it's just not okay not to look if there is something to see. If there is something to see. How many Christians for the last 2,000 years have been like the religious leaders, so caught up in our version of faith that we forget what's most important, that everything that Jesus has done, he's done to love people into the kingdom of God. I want you to think about that. How many Christians for the last 2,000 years have been like the religious leaders? They're so caught up in their version of faith, their, what they think most important, how they define God, that they forget that it's all about living out the as I have loved you lifestyle. What is that? Remember what Jesus said as, to his disciples, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. And what had Jesus just done? He had got on his knees and humbly washed his, his disciples' feet. The as I have loved you lifestyle that Jesus has called us to is a life of love, of serving others. Jesus has called you and I to live that way. And there's no room in the as I have loved you lifestyle, like these religious leaders, throwing people out of our lives who just don't fit into our religious zeal or fanaticism or our little religious box. Instead, you and I, we say, I'm going to see what God wants me to see. I'm going to view people the way God wants me to view people. I'm going to love people by serving them. I'm going to be distributors of grace because I understand what Romans chapter 2 says, that it's the kindness of God that leads people to repentance. And so I'm going to demonstrate the love of God knowing that that's what will lead someone to say, I want to know God, and I want to change my life, and I want to get my life right with God. What do you see? It's just not okay not to look if something can be seen. So if you're a Christian, what box have you put God in? How have you limited God? to your understanding, because the way you limit God will ultimately lead to how you limit the way God can use you with others. What do you see? Maybe for others, you've closed yourself off to the concept of God, to the concept of that God sent his son Jesus to the earth. Maybe you've closed yourself off to this idea of a resurrection, a literal, physical resurrection. And if that's you and you've closed yourself off to that, I would just ask you, is that really wise? Because perhaps, just perhaps, God is inviting you to see. And God is saying to you, if you will see my son and who he is for who he is, your life will change and will be transformed and will be altered for eternity. My son, the Son of God is the Savior of the world. John was convinced what he saw, so convinced that he knew if you would put your hope and faith and trust in the Son of God, that John said, you will have life. Life, excuse me, real and better life than you can ever imagine here on earth, but also eternal life. Why close off to that? 
You don't have to understand everything today to take a step of belief today. God said, if you will draw near to me, I will draw near to you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Almighty God, we come before you today with our hearts open to you to see what you want us to see. If you're a Jesus follower, would you be willing just to reaffirm your willingness to say yes to Jesus? Say, Jesus, I'm coming before you today and I want to see what you want me to see. I want to see, say yes to how you're leading me and how you're guiding me to live out the as I have loved you lifestyle. So use me, God, to make a difference in the lives of others. If you're here and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior and you're saying, you know what, it's time. I finally see who Jesus is, that he's the Son of God and that he will save me from my sins and he will give me the gift of life. If that's you and you're ready, I'm gonna invite you to pray with me right now. It's not the exact words. It's more that you would just mean this in your heart. Say something like this. Say, Jesus, thank you. I don't fully understand, but I recognize that you are God's son and that you came to this earth 2,000 years ago to die on a cross for my sins, to die in my place so that I could actually live for eternity. And so, Jesus, as best as I understand right now in faith, I surrender my life to you. Come into my life, be my Lord, and be my Savior. Thank you, Jesus, for welcoming me in to your family. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. We hope you enjoyed today's message. You can learn more about us by visiting us online at lifepoint.org. If you are ever in the Sacramento area, we would love to see you in person. Events and service times can be found on our website. Thank you for listening, and we hope you join us for our next episode.